Welcome to Top of the Food Chain. I am your host, Al Mancini, and much like the prodigal son of biblical lore, I have returned to my home here at the Vegas Video Network. Unlike that Bible story, I don't know where that guy's home was, by the way, but um, unlike that Bible story, Scott, the big daddy of the Vegas Video Network, Scott did not slaughter the fatted calf for me. No, he did not. Which Sorry. means I'm going to have to just go get a veal parmesan sandwich, I suppose, after <laughs> calf, veal. Yeah, same thing, really, guys. Okay, well, I'm off to a rough start with the joke. Scott always says, back, Scott always says he's the easiest laugh in the room, and I couldn't even make him laugh on that one. So, damn. I'm going to have to earn my way back into Daddy's heart. Anyway, welcome to Vegas Video Network. Again, top of the food chain. Um, we air live every week here, but the Vegas Video Network has so many shows, and I kind of forget this routine that I used to do every week, so I'm just going to run you through it. Go to VegasVideoNetwork.com. You can find all the shows. They're all archived. All of my personal shows are archived at AlMancini.net, and you can check them out there or, again, at VegasVideoNetwork.com. And you can find us on um, iTunes. You can find us on, who, Scott, who am I forgetting? iTunes, Facebook, Facebook YouTube, YouTube, Roku. Roku. Roku is who I was forgetting. I apologize. Um, so anyway, we're all over the place. Just Google Vegas Video Network. You'll find us everywhere. In the meantime, if you have a question for a future show, you can do it at food at VegasVideoNetwork.com. But if you are online live right now, which is what you should always be when this show happens, get in the live chat room. Just log on. It's a very simple process. And you can ask us anything you want to know. Today we're talking about things like fruitcakes. And by that, I mean the food. I don't mean some of my friends. <laughs> Gingerbread, mincemeat pie, all of the great baking that you do around the holiday. We're going to be talking about that. So get in the live chat room and make sure you take care of that. Um, we are also, every weekend on Friday night, you've got the entire Vegas Video Network on KSHP. 1400 AM, they just run us one into another. It's getting, Scott, are you going to start needing a whole weekend to do this soon? Yes, our goal is to take over every broadcasting thing in the world. <laughs> Vegas Video Network, 24 by 7. God bless America. Okay, but for now it's Fridays. So yes, Fridays now. Got to start small. Fridays at 1400 AM. And if you have a question and you're, you're driving along in your car, you got nothing but an AM radio, but you also happen to have a cell phone and you want to dial in a question, it'll be for future use, but you can dial it in at 866 966 I think I've gotten all the plugs out of the way. Scott, well I'm not quite as good at it as I used to be, but I'm getting back into gear. It's like riding a bike. Just like riding a bike. You got, you're back on the, you're on the wheels. You're ready to go. You're okay. I haven't ridden a bike in a while. 
Well, we can tell. (laughs) Well, anyway, Scott, how are you? I've been waiting to say this for, it's been four weeks since the last show. How are you, my brother? We're good, man. We're we're good. We've been having some fun. We've we've missed you, of course. You know, it's not the same on Thursdays without our our mohawked brother. Uh, But uh, we're moving along. We're working hard and and trying to do good work. How about you? How was your weeks off? It it was great. And, you know, I've been watching your shows. They look excellent. Um, You know, I've, I've had a lot of time to concentrate on some interesting things. I, I've been keeping, trying to keep in, uh, you know, in gear for this show by doing some TV and radio appearances just because I'm promoting the book. The new book's out. I'm not going to plug it right now because you have done such a wonderful job of telling people about it. But it was great having you at our release party. Thank you for coming, man. Oh, we had a very, very nice time. I, I heard you speak about it. And if anybody actually wants to see Scott, I'm pretty sure you and Melissa are in the video. It's at my buddy's website, foodenquirer.com. There's a video there of the book release party, and I'm pretty sure you guys are hanging out and having a good old time. So so that was cool. Um, what else? What else? I spent yesterday selling truffles, well, you know, tagging along while our friend Lisa Voss sold truffles to people. I spent a day with our friend Brian Howard in the kitchen while he made charcuterie. I've just been kind of soaking up the entire food thing that's going on here in Las Vegas, and it's, it's been a ton of fun, man. That's good. Well, you know what? You're in a good job. <laughs> if you like it, that's good, man. That's good. Yeah, it's cool, man. It's cool to get behind the scenes. Um, go to my, actually, I recommend people go to my blog for this one. I won't bore you with it because all the info is on my blog, but I kind of tried to bury the hatchet a little with the restaurant mix by Elaine, Tuga- Elaine Ducasse last night. I love Elaine, but I had a horrible time with his restaurant seven years ago, man. And I thought they treated me really bad because of the way I look. And now that I'm kind of well known for the way I look, they keep trying to invite me back and invite me back. And I've had a grudge against them for going on seven years. And I finally went back last night. And uh, I don't know, Scott, I'm thinking that maybe seven years is long enough to hold a grudge. What do you think? <laughs> well, does that mean you're still not happy with it or you're, it's better now? Um, again, I never critique a, a meal when it's comped. I just think it's unfair because I would never say anything negative. And then when I do say positive things, people just think I'm a butt kisser. Am I allowed to say ass kisser? Yeah, yeah, you can say okay. ass kisser. People just think I'm kissing ass because I won't say anything negative. So I'm not going to critique. I will tell you, I had a very, very great time there last night. A lot of good friends in the food business were there. Elaine Ducasse, an incredible host. Um, but I was always worried about the service. And I think when you're sitting with the owner, you're probably guaranteed that you'll get good service. <laughs> well, yeah. I so. so I don't really know if I can say, I mean, yes, I was happy. I had an incredible time last night. But I'm still trying to decide whether, you know, I can... I can start saying, okay, the, the grudge is over, you know, because back in those days, I was like the only guy that looked like, well, I'm still the only guy that looked like this, but nobody knew that I was out there, and I felt like they treated me really badly for the way I looked, but that was seven years ago, almost. So. Let me ask you this, before we get to our guest, uh, so you've, you've reviewed them before in print, yes? Yes. That was seven years ago. Um, yes, yeah, six and a half, seven years right. ago. So now, let's say that you want to review them again. Do you go to your editors and say, hey, I want to do this again? Or did they say, mm, we've already done that story. Let's move on. There's, there's a bunch of new restaurants. Let's, let's do them instead. It, it depends on the place. In this particular instance, because it's a strip restaurant, and I know the chef, and I know all the people at MGM, Resorts International, who invite me, I can't go back and review it again. Because I go in, and I go in as somebody they know, and they're kissing my ass. So it, it makes no sense for me to go to City Life. Um, I can talk about them, and I can write about them for other publications, but I, I can't review them again. Now, if this was an off-strip restaurant where they didn't know who I was and I hadn't become friendly with them, 
And five, six years had gone by. They had a new chef, which, by the way, Mix does have a new chef who's incredible. Um, then I could go to my editors at City Life and say, this place has really changed, and it's about time we go back in. I have another question before we, we go off. And that is, so you're friends, you've claimed many times that you're friends with a lot of the chefs here. So doesn't that put you at risk from a credibility standpoint about saying negative things about them? For example, there is an entertainer or entertainment reporter out there who I see hanging out with entertainers all the time. How then can you be critical of them if uh, a critique is necessary? Well, I mean, two things. First of all, when I say I'm friends, I mean friendly with. I mean, Elaine Ducasse, I'm certainly not friends with. I've met the man three or four times. He's just been very nice. And we don't really speak the same language. Joel Robichon, he loves to see me, throws his arms around me, but we don't speak the same language. So we're not friends. He puts me on his Facebook page, but I think that's just to make fun of me to people in France. But to get back to your question, um, if I am friendly with chefs, if I have asked them to participate in articles that I've done um, to be experts for me, um, like Rick Moonen comes to mind. He has been my expert on numerous, uh, numerous articles. No, even though we don't hang out socially outside of food events, I can't go in and critique him. But you've got to keep in mind, only about 10 to 20% of what I write, only what I write for Las Vegas City Life, is criticism. That's the only critiques I write. The other bit of what I write is explanatory journalism. It's basically me telling you what caviar is or me explaining what charcuterie is, things like that. And for articles like that, I need to know the chefs because I need them to help and explain things to me. Our guest today is a chef that I had known for a little while. Um, met him once or twice, really, before I went in to critique his restaurant. We had never socialized together. Um, so I didn't mind going in and critiquing his restaurant. But generally speaking, these guys that I see at every party and that I see at every event, no, City Life would not allow me to criticize their restaurant. OK, was that too long? Sorry. Again, I'm off my game. I'm, I'm new. I'm back. But getting to our next guest, you're going to meet him in about 30 seconds, 60. How many seconds, Scott? 30 seconds, baby. 30 seconds. Traditional media believes that after about three minutes, you'll tune out. Most Vegas media companies think if it doesn't jiggle, you won't tune in. At the Vegas Video Network, we think both are wrong. The Vegas Video Network is the first and only live online broadcast network that specializes in insider news and expert views about Vegas. We combine great storytelling with the ability to watch when and where you want on your computer, mobile device, or television. Discover the real Las Vegas. Visit VegasVideoNetwork.com. And we're back, and I'm finally trying to remember which camera is one, two. I was counting one, two, three, but apparently it's one, two, three. One, two, three. That's not even, I don't know what, I don't know who counts that way at all. I mean, I'm thinking, I know people that go right to left, people that go left to right. But um, hey, you're back at the Vegas Video Network, and I am Al Mancini hosting Top of the Food Chain. Today with me, my host, I'm very happy to have him. He just woke up because this guy gets up at 4 a.m. or 2 a.m. every day. Chris Heron, how are you, my brother? Welcome. It's a pleasure to be on the show. <laughs> You're welcoming me I'm welcoming <laughs> to you my, my show. show. <laughs> Thank you. Chris is um, the owner, executive chef of Bread and Butter, which just, well, let's give a little background on you, and then we'll talk about Bread and Butter. I know your reputation because you worked um, 
at the Bellagio for Le Cirque and Chirico. You worked for Andre Rochat at which Andres? Uh, Andres Downtown. Andres Downtown. And then you spent seven years as the pastry chef at, at Bouchon. Yes. And Bouchon is known for its bakery. So you've got to kind of have some chops to work there as a pastry chef. Well, I think what was great about Bouchon uh, seven, eight years ago is the bakery was just starting when I started there. And uh, it was a fun project to, to be associated with. Thomas Keller is probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest, uh, chefs you know, from a system of development. And from a U.S. standpoint, I mean, Thomas Keller is the only American chef to have three, three or excuse me, two Michelin three-star restaurants. And, and a great system of development. You know, I mean, a lot of talent comes out of that kitchen, and a lot of talent still is in that kitchen. I mean, uh, it's a very good system to be from, and I'm very proud of the time I was there. In, uh, in seven years, went by in, in a matter of a couple days, it seems like. I mean, it was just uh, an incredible challenge and, and a good, good opportunity. And so the story gets interesting from there. You're the guy that has worked for these great chefs and, you know, these world-renowned chefs, especially in, in Thomas Keller's case. And no, you don't want to go the celebrity chef route. You don't want to keep going to more Michelin star restaurants. You want to do your own thing. You leave. You're about to open your own bakery with the folks from Metro Pizza. Yes. And there are some problems, foreclosure, not them, but problems with the landlords, foreclosure, whatever it is. And so you go the food truck route. Yeah, well, I mean, we were always planning on doing something on my own. Um, I've always been very, um, very type of person that's, uh, that I always wanted to be uh, as an individual. So as I was going to open the place I open now, there was a foreclosure in the shopping center, and, uh, and I needed something to do. And, and John and Sam from Metro Pizza were doing a new project called Lulu's Bakery, and uh, we thought it would be fun with, with Chris from Metro to do a food truck. So we just kind of... Uh, jumped in the business and we did Lulu's on the move and we still do Lulu's and uh, and I, I met you at a food truck throwdown I think where you were making oh this was great people seriously it was like a root beer float with ice cream but it was it was a pork throwdown uh, the, your yeah. key ingredient was pork so there was chocolate covered bacon in the chocolate root beer float and it was just absolutely insane probably my favorite dish of the night that day and, and that's something that we always like have i love root beer ever since i've been a little kid i mean we have a root beer display at the bakery that's crazy and uh and to do root beer with all kinds of stuff root beer cotton candy and uh that night, we had a, brought a root beer keg onto the truck, and we candied some bacon and threw it all together. And, and you loved it, you know, you and maybe two other people. So, uh, yes. you know, we kept it around I'm a for man a of the while. two people. And, uh, and if you come into the bakery, I'm sure we could work something out again. But uh, it wasn't uh, a key winner, but uh, you liked it, so that's all well, that really mattered. Jolene beat you that night, and I think that's just more because John had a crush on Jolene. Yeah, and Jolene is a great, great girl, and she was very uh, helpful with us with the truck and has been very helpful with me uh, in the business. I mean, it's such a great community of young chefs that are out there now, uh, developed in Las Vegas between Brian Howard and Gary Lamont, and, and all of them are really coming together through Jolene. All of those I people who have all been on this show, you know? Yeah. And um, so thank you, all you guys, for coming. <laughs> and those guys have been great to me. They're, you know, the idea of bread and butter is, is more or less just a, 
a place that we just walk away from the strip and just went and took a, a strip mall that was underappreciated and just threw a threw a bakery in there. Well, yeah. So bread and butter opened what four six weeks ago, something like that. Yeah, first of October. Okay, so yeah, I can't do the math. In so my head, about but... two months going okay. on two months and. Uh, <laughs> You know, we've had some good times in there. It's a fun little spot, you know, and uh, and it's great. Community's well received. You know, we got a lot of good feedback. We got a lot of poor feedback, and we're just working on every day trying to be better. I think uh, a lot of times with chefs and and sort of ego driven, we're kind of not that. We're like open to any suggestions, and and for me, it's all about just surviving to the the next day. Or you know, at least a hundred days, right? At least a hundred days goal. is the goal. You know, it's never been something that uh, that we ever we put a lot of thought in trying to get open, but never a lot of thought in the follow through. So we're having fun with it. Bread and butter, and just to let people know, you can read all about it in my article on today's Las Vegas City Life that just came out. I wrote a great piece about it. My friend John Curtis wrote a also, great piece. He loves it just as much as I do, but he doesn't write as well as I do. But also, you can read um, what he had to say in Las Vegas Weekly. Two, two articles came out today about your restaurant and about how great it is. I mean, we both love it. Max Jacobson, another colleague of mine, has also sung the praises of your restaurant. So the critics are loving you. How's it feel today coming off of those two reviews? I mean, I, I think for me, the standpoint is, you know, as I was saying earlier, I mean, some days I feel like, uh, you know, we, we're just barely getting to our potential. You know, we're not even a, a quarter of the way, which is really more like critique of, our, of ourselves, maybe. You know, because we're always in, especially working in Bouchon in, in that environment, you're always, the expectation is always very high. And, and no one expects more out of something uh, more than myself. You know, I mean, it's always something we're very chef-driven, transparent kind of restaurant, business, anything in general. So yeah, we, we are doing well, but I still think we have a long ways to go. Well, you know? it's a great, great neighborhood restaurant. Before we talk more about that and before we get into the other topics we need to talk about, Scott has a question. Uh, we have a question from Nate. Nate wants to know, how did you get the capital to start the business? Nate, there's a couple uh, different businesses out there. One is called Visa. The other one is Discover, um, American Express. They're actually calling me right now, continuously. So um, as long as I can put those off, uh, we'll be in business. But uh, it was a lot of elbow grease, hard work. Um, Dad's 401k, my 401k. We just borrowed a few dollars, and, and we did it. I mean, so many chefs, I think, are afraid to, to go out there and, and invest in themselves that it almost put you at a, a loss of the food evolution. You know, I mean, really, we're just out there hustling like any other business, you know, yes. going from there. And it, it's a great place, I will tell people. I mean, as I described it to you, and I don't know, you may not like this, but it's very much like a Panera Breads if it had a soul. If it wasn't corporate, and I like Panera, by the way. You guys are good people. But you walk in, and what you see are these, first thing you see is a bakery, fresh bread, fresh pastries, I mean, things that are Bouchon worthy, you know, which is amazing, Thomas Keller worthy. And then you walk past it and you go and there's a sandwich shop. And they make an egg pizza for breakfast and you make, um, you make just great sandwiches. I mean, I, well, you can read about it, but it's just this great place. But what I love most about it, and again, I'm gonna leave it at this, is it's a neighborhood gathering point. If you live in that neighborhood, there are, by the way, a lot of hot young moms in there with their kids when you go for lunch. I mean, like, smoking hot moms. You can't believe they have two kids. 
and the kids are writing on the chalkboard and the moms are just hanging out and then you know local business people and you know seniors that are stocking up on some I don't know, you know, pastries or fruitcake and things like that. So it, it, it's a great neighborhood joint, man. And again, you can read about it in, in both of these weekly magazines today. You, my website, almancini.net. It's a great place, man, and I congratulate you on it. But I need to use your expertise at this point. Okay. You are a baker. Yes. A pastry chef. Some people call that. A man who should know everything about all things baked. And it is the holiday season. Have you ever made a fruitcake? Well, that's a funny story. Uh, we started making food cake at uh, Andre's when I worked there, and, uh, and it just kind of evolved into seven years of making food cake at Bouchon. And we really put so much love into one fruit cake that we were losing money every time we sold one. You know, and, and it was okay when I worked for other chefs. Did you ever sell so one? We sold tons of fruit cake, but when you're selling a fruit cake at 70% of its cost, it was good for me and, and not good for others. So this year around, we've kind of, we've kind of slowed down on the fruitcake sales as we go. But I'll make a few for some friends and some and a good colleagues and a couple people that follow us around at the restaurant. And we'll just we'll sell them at cost and, and do it like that. But uh, I'm a huge fan of fruitcake. I think it's one of those things that are like so underappreciated. And, and it's such an American tradition that started in you know, in different parts of the country, in England, and, and but there's so many different varieties of fruitcake, too. We're going to get to the history. Um, For me, the it's, one, like, so underappreciated. The, the one thing, you know, that's Johnny Carson's probably the reason that it's so underappreciated is because he used to joke that there's only one fruitcake and we keep sending it to each other every year for holidays and the same fruitcake has been to every American household. So, you know, but we're going to talk about the history because there's a great history. I have a fruitcake here that we're going to try, but before we do that, we're going to take a question. Scott, are you just blinking that light at me or is there a question? There is a question Bob wants to know. This is kind of part of the joke that Carson did. You know, what is the shelf life of a fruitcake? I mean, for me, a really great fruitcake should be gone by, by New Year's, I would think. But I mean, we've made them in the past where we uh, brush them with brandied syrup for seven or eight days. And the shelf life is, you know, I would say on that product, at least three, four months on a really nice homemade uh, fruitcake, especially in the freezer, something wrapped really tight. The alcohol plays, plays a very important part. And in fact, I mean, I've read this and I, I've learned this, but in fact, the people, the, the nice people, I, sh I should pay tribute to my in-laws who sent me this fruitcake that we're about to have. And that is um, Annette and Sid Sauls. And by, I don't know if in-laws is the right word. It's my brother's boyfriend's parents, but I, I go with in-laws on that one, right? And Annette and Sid apparently have said that this fruitcake, which doesn't have alcohol on it, that if we were to wrap it in some, I guess, cheesecloth with, with some brandy on it. Oh, yeah, we'll just whip this baby out while we're having this conversation because you, you get a good shot of that. That's just a beautiful fruitcake. And they say that if you actually wrap it in alcohol, that it will last a lot longer. So I was, I was saving that little tidbit of information for later in this program, but because we had a question from the crowd. We're just changing our entire show for you, audience. That's the way we do it here. Well, we're just rolling with it as we go. But I think what's great about wrapping it in the, in the cheesecloth with the alcohol, it's very much like preserving uh, chef's preserved meat, like duck confit. They cap it with the fat. 
I mean, this is the pastry chef's version of being able to make something that'll last a long time. So this is I mean? like the charcuterie this of is charcuterie of, of, bakeries? of bakers, I would think. Yes. You know, so many people make uh, a joke of it, but I mean, there's so many great chefs right now in this city, especially making charcuterie, that a great fruitcake maker from Las Vegas, as funny as it sounds, uh, <laughs> should be something that uh, we embrace. It does get no respect, and I'll show you how little respect it gets. There's um, a town in Colorado here that it's coming up, and I, I'm sorry, I apologize. I don't have the date in front of me, but you can check out this website. These guys do the great fruitcake throw or toss or something like that. It happens this year on January 14th, and it is about how far you can throw away the fruitcake that you got that you didn't like. And people, I think the record was set Forget how, I think 400 feet, 440 feet, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on it. I tried to commit it to memory. But by a team from Boeing who came up with a machine that would throw away their fruitcakes. And you go there on the 14th. It has to be, by the way, now a standard two-pound fruitcake. They used to have a four-pound fruitcake division, but it's now a two-pound fruitcake. And I don't know. I, it doesn't seem right to me that people want to throw these things away. I mean... I mean, there's two good things about uh, a fruitcake that I love. I mean, just hit it with some butter and, and toast it and, and make a really nice bread out of it. The other thing is like a great bread pudding. I mean, use it as, use it up, use it for the next day. Soak it with some custard, rebake it and uh, with a little bit of ice cream. And that was something we used to sell a lot at the restaurants. And uh, I think it's great, you know, from a business standpoint, I mean, who could you knock as a company that only makes fruitcake. Right. And they only work two months out of the Apparently year. Apparently the Japanese <laughs> buy up a lot of them. Oh, the okay. Japanese love I them. Mean, I mean, the, the history-wise, history I mean, first of all, definition-wise, fruitcake is really a, a certain type of cake, but what it really needs, before the Americans got a hold of it, is just a lot of candied fruit in it, right? Sugared, preserved fruit. And a lot of good fruit. I mean, a lot of times the bakers will cut cost or, or in, in spite of trying to sell it for a lower price, they'll use, you know, some different things that you don't even know what they are. You know, where a real good fruitcake, dried apricots, cranberries, um, pecans, raisins, a lot of those different things like that, those are expensive ingredients to start with. You know, and to think that you brush it with simple syrup or a brandied syrup for seven days, that's a lot of love go into those fruitcakes, you know? And, uh, and historically speaking, the fruitcake goes back to, oh, at hundreds of years, right? I mean, yeah, I mean it, no, it, actually to ancient Rome, I believe, was where the first fruitcakes were. And I think all, all, there's all kinds of forms of this cake in different countries and, and different uh, traditions. You know, it's just that when sometimes it comes to the United States, it, it gets easy to be made as a joke or, or or like Johnny Carson can can work that segment his whole career. You know? some, some interesting facts I learned when I was researching the fruitcake. Um, one is that I guess for a while, the, you know, in, in Rome and the Roman Catholic Church, you had to you had to go on a fast during Advent, which is the period leading up to Christmas. So you couldn't use buttermilk or butter and milk in the same thing. And so in Germany, the popes had said you can't use buttermilk during the weeks going up to Christmas. And depending on which source you use, nobody agrees on which pope finally did it, but there was a pope who sent out a letter, 
that said certain villages in Germany were allowed to make fruitcakes, even if they had to break the laws of the Catholic Church. It reminds me of when I was in Catholic um, high school and they told us we could break the laws of Lent in order for, to have a prom. So, you know, same thing. This was the prom cake of its day. We've got a question, then we're going to try some fruitcake. Yeah, well, Gary said, what's in a fruitcake? You kind of covered it, but I said that I'd have you guys cut it open so we could see what's inside. Uh, I don't even know what's in there. Well, we're going to taste this fruitcake. Again, this one is coming from um, one of the Carolinas. Did we read that? North Carolina, South Carolina? Uh, it's somewhere down there. Okay, yes. And again, this is a family member sent this fruitcake. Delish. Look, we'll turn it around so you can see that. Candied fruits, basically, the Americans added nuts to it. I don't think there were a lot of nuts in it before the U.S., leading to the phrase nutty as a fruitcake. And... Um, it caught on in the America. Actually, it caught on in a lot of the world when they discovered the sugar. The, the Europeans had colonized the Americas, and they were sending a lot of molasses and sugar back. And they were also able to take fruits and preserve them and send fruits back to Europe. And that's really when it got popular. And I and I what I read about it or seen some history is like they had so much fruit that there was preserved from it that uh, they needed an outlet for this this cake and. Uh, this is one of the products that they came up with, which is, which is so great about food. Like the evolution of certain dishes sometimes come from just having abundance of something, you know, at a certain time and period of, of history. And then as it evolves, it just becomes, uh, it just becomes a staple in, in a Christmas special. I mean, I love it. I think it's one of the, one of the funnier things out there, you know, and it's one of the fun things. I mean, well, again, this is Southern Supreme. This is a nutty fruitcake, and this is from North Carolina, Bear Creek. Again, from my in-laws, the sauce. Thank you, guys. We're going to try this now because a lot of people are afraid to try fruitcake. So, cheers. Mmm. I took too big a bite. Mmm. The cans in there. I mean, a lot of candy fruit. It's good. That's I mean, a good fruit. I That's mean, a and, really good. And fruit what cake. I really like about it, they use use this for the decoration. You don't see a lot of this green stuff inside the actual fruitcake, which whoever knows what that green stuff is. But, right. When um, they, when it's all packed with that stuff inside. Yeah. This is just like a good. I don't know. If you like a pecan pie, you're gonna like this. I mean, the nuts are good. They're toasted. A lot of sweet things in there. The fruit is used sparingly on the inside, primarily for decoration. It's sugary as hell. <laughs> I mean, I think I got a cavity within the past two minutes. But, um, but no, this is a great fruitcake. So again, thank you, Sauce. We, can we move on to another one? Because this is one that I got in an arguing match. My wife, my mother-in-law, this is a family show. It's, I'm very family-oriented. And my wife, my mother-in-law, and me got in an argument. Is there, mince, is there meat in mincemeat pie? For me, we always, this last Thanksgiving, we made some mincemeat and we used the beef suet. And that was traditionally my parents or my mother's uh, English descent. And that was always the style that we made. You know, we rendered the suet and we mix it with the raisins. The Could you spices. explain what suet is? It's, a it's, it's the fat, it's the beef fat that. It's um, from the kidney or the liver? Yeah, right around the intestine area. And it's really clean. Um, we use because that's what I think when I think intestinal area, really clean. <laughs> I mean, this is a cleaner fat, you know. I mean, and it's very good. And we used to make, you know, we made it that way. It was always, uh, it was never the mincemeat that you notice in the store. That's that's, again, a version of fruitcake that's very like sweet. And and this was just a very solid pie, 
you know, chopped nice, whatever we could get uh, dried fruit-wise. It was but always clean. Historically, minced meat pie goes back to the Crusades. Um, you know, the, the Roman Catholics, again, it's all yeah. Christmas stuff. That's why this is all related to Christmas. I'm not trying to bring up religion and family, but they all go together. That's why these are Christmas items. And the knights were coming back from the Crusades. They'd been in the Middle East, and they brought these recipes back. Historically, it started with meat. I mean, there, was, there were chunks of meat, different types of meat, and we kind of gave that up for suet maybe 100 or 200 years ago, and we started using the suet. Today, a lot of it's vegetarian. Well, and there was a lot of, like, uh, between the Puritans and the Catholics, I believe, when we were researching that, that there was a lot of uh, battle between the two in terms of, like, not only the history of certain dishes, what would be carried forward with different religions, you know, well, and, and that was always something that we even see today. I mean, there's... Well, the, the mince pie or the mincemeat pie, I mean, an amazing thing. I mean, you talk about the, the religious significance of it. I mean, in the old days, they used to put a little a baby, it was made to look like a manger, and they'd put out the baby Jesus thing like a lot of us had when we were kids in, in our manger scene. Well, the pie was the manger, and then when the baby was born, you'd take the pie out, and then, or excuse me, the baby out, and then you'd eat the pie. You wouldn't eat the baby. That would, be, that would just be wrong to eat the baby Jesus. Um, what but, I always like is like, you know, let's say 500 years ago, those debates were like debated on like pie. I mean, yeah, like well, World War, you know, it, things were like, you know, it was a simpler time, I guess, but it was so in what it was. There were, I mean? there were a lot of things that tied the Roman Catholic Church to mincemeat pies. Um, I, a lot of people thought you had to use three spices that, that represented the three gifts of the Magi. A lot of people said you had to use a total of 13 ingredients that represented the 12 apostles plus Jesus. And I've read, I don't know if it's true, that it was Cromwell, but somebody in England during the English Civil War, not to bore you too much with history, when the Protestants were fighting the Catholics in England, made it illegal to make Christmas food. And mincemeat pie was like the very bad thing because it was too Catholic and they wanted you to be Protestant. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, you know? I mean, it's, and just think, we just uh, had the day of the repel the other day. Uh, the repeal of prohibition. prohibition. I mean, where's the day for the pie? <laughs> well, um, you, you know what? If, if you put the um, Occupy guys and, and the tea party in the same room, yeah. I bet they'll fight over something yes. to eat or drink. So, I, I bet they will. I mean, I just like the honesty of making things at the holiday season. Really is all about family and about preserving some sort of history in the family. Um, when I was growing up, we always made a lot of things counterdictive to selling stuff at the bakery. We made a lot of stuff at home. I mean, and I think really this time of year is a lot about doing, making your own gingerbread, making your own fruitcake, things like that that really preserve the history of, of time. I mean, it's a great family thing to do as a family show. It's a great vehicle to spend time with family. And of the three that you just said, gingerbread, um, fruitcake, and mince pie, or mince meat pie, what's the easiest to make at home? Because think, it's easy for you to make any of them. No, no, I think gingerbread. I mean, I just had a great, uh, there's this thing on our Facebook from my great niece. I mean, she made a great, cool little gingerbread uh, house, you know, and that, that's stuff that's like, those are memories that go with you forever. I mean, and, and we've got a picture up right now because we're talking gingerbread. This is called pepper cake. BN. And this is in the town of Bergen in Norway. And they build, I guess since 1991, they've been building the large, world's largest gingerbread town. 
And if you can get your butt to Norway, there's admission. It's not free, but you can actually wander through there. You can go to the city of Bergen's website and get more information on that. So, man, we've hit it all. It is also National Brownie Day. We didn't have time to get to, to brownie advice, but um, we're going to have to wrap it today. We will have you back, hopefully. Yeah, and uh, um, it's been fun. And, and I hear you're going to be sponsoring the show for a couple of weeks. We're going to be sponsoring the show and, and sending over some butter and some pastries <laughs> and, and some bread and, and balking people up, you know, and going from there. Well, congratulations on all the success of Bread and Butter. I'm glad to see that my two co-authors who rarely agree with me both agree, all three of us agree, that yours is probably one of the coolest new restaurants we've seen in a while. It's a simple place. It's a neighborhood place it's a community place but i highly recommend if you live anywhere it's worth a, it's worth a trip across town i said on facebook today i'm thinking of moving to that neighborhood just for that sense of community because you don't get it a lot here in las vegas yeah i mean again bread and butter is just a fun we don't even really know what it is we're just having a good time making good product and uh and enjoying what we do you know it's a recession time in in las vegas and we just wanted to make a happy place you know somewhere that people enjoy everything yeah, really wonderful place, bread and butter. It's on Eastern Avenue. It's about as far as you can go on Eastern Avenue before you hit Anthem yes. for the most part. So check it out. It's hard to find MapQuest. It's behind Osaka, really. That's the best way to explain it to people on that part of town, directly in the same parking lot, directly behind Osaka. Yeah. We are in the, uh, we are, share the garbage with Osaka. That's how close we are. We are, uh, we are no partners of Osaka. So come in, see us. We're always there. And, uh, and I'm sure if you come in the back, uh, there's plenty of snacks and, and things to check out. If you mention Al's show, I'm sure you're going to get uh, all kinds of stuff. Get a box to go and, and go from there. But. Well, it's great having you. Um, we will be back next week. This hiatus is over. I think we're in for the long haul for a while, Scott. Um, so we've got a lot of shows coming up next week. I, I'm really, I want to stick with the holiday theme. Uh, this month because I think there are a lot of things about holiday food that people don't understand. Next week we tackle eggnog. The week after that, champagne and sparkling wines. We give you history, we give you tips, we show you, as my brother needs to know, how to shoot the cork off without eggnog. killing anybody in the room. Um, all the things you need to know about eggnog and sparkling wine over the next two weeks. We've got a lot of good things coming up for the new next new year for 2012. In the meantime, Look me up, almancini.net. You can find all my things that I'm doing and all the people I'm annoying. And can I say, never mind. Um, all the people that I'm bothering, it's all there at almancini.net. My book, Leave, Eating Las Vegas, Leaving Las Vegas, God, that's a whole other book. My book, Eating that's Las Vegas 2012, um, it's out there right now. They're selling it dirt cheap on Amazon, I think under 10 bucks. Perfect stocking stuffer. We made sure it fits into a stocking. So you want to see what me, Max, and John all agree on? That's the place to get it. In the meantime, I'll be back in a week. I hope you guys had fun. Scott, we're having fruitcake. Love it.